You hear that? What is that? It's about that time of year. Getting ready for the rut. Welcome to the Whistle Mission Podcast. Outdoors podcast. Pat can't get that right. We are on a new uh, interface for audio today, so hopefully this is coming in nice and clear for you. Sounds pretty clear. On yeah, so far. Right now. We'll see you in the post, you know. So what do you, uh, what do you want to review right now? Tell review. me about your week. Oh, well, just got back. I was really wanting another deer call in my arsenal, so we were just at uh, Big R. and uh, uh, It's not Big R anymore, but yeah. Or whatever it's called. Um, and we got these little sticks in a bag. And I was like, first I was like, oh, let's buy the antler ones. But that, I, I'll stab myself with those things. Those things are huge. But uh, yeah, so we got these guys. Yeah, it's a little, those other ones are just a little too much to carry with a tree stand and all this stuff, yeah. you know, being a public land. If you had your own private land, I think it'd be awesome to have those. This baby's like a pound though. I mean, this thing's heavy. Oh, it's on good though. Rattle they them again sound. for me. Yeah, here. Where's that? Yeah, those are those, those are those sticks. Sorry. Those, <laughs> are, the, those are the sticks in the bag type ones that he's got. Yeah. Anyway, for my week, I Friday I hit off of work and I sat in the rain all day waiting for a deer to pop up. And guess what? I still don't have a deer. You yeah, know? that was a miserable day, man. That, oh, was, that was, was like one of the worst. I sat in the rain for about four or five hours. I'm like, all right, I'm done. You know. And then I get back to the truck. I get all my rain gear off. And I was kind of wet, kind of not. And I think it was just perspiration from all the rain gear. Because I had two layers of rain gear on. I had you know, my pants and jacket and then a poncho on top of that. I was supposed to be on my way to the UP on Friday, but uh, my truck broke down. Yeah, what happened? On her? the way to work, uh, AC compressor went out. Heard a big old screech. Smelled some burning. So pulled over. Yeah, that'll dampen any weekend plans. You neat, know, neat part about my truck though, you just cut the belt off and you keep going. So yeah, at least it's a different belt. You know, mine mine's not like that. Tacomas, but also you know, AC compressors don't really go out in Tacomas like they do in Fords. But you know, who's, who's we're not measuring that. They here. just put them in the worst spot. They put them right where they suck up all the crap from the road. So I'm I'm not even, I'm not, I'm gonna wait till spring to put mine on. Screw it. Well, so you want to get into the news, or you got anything else you want to say about the week? Uh we went hunting today. We did go hunting today. What do you want to say about that? Um, that would actually I like the spot we were at today. We today were, our, our lesson was remember your route because the last time we were at that particular spot was February completely forgot where we were supposed to go uh it's not that we forgot it said it was so overgrown we didn't recognize it and yeah. february it was so dead and now it's not so we we didn't exactly forget we're like man it was somewhere around here but then we get back to it when the light was finally up and it was just overgrown and this was in an area with not a whole lot of like older trees i'm not going to say not mature because they you know th- that it's just way overgrown i don't think big trees really grow a lot there so this was a real pain in the butt to get into a tree today you want to get into the news? Absolutely. Let's do it. You want me to go first? Yeah, go for it. All right. So Wisconsin, I'm going to start with because it's kind of a big deal. This is from chafernews.com. Uh, Wisconsin DNR not issuing licenses for the fall wolf hunt. Wisconsin DNR is putting a hold on the fall wolf hunt. Wow. Because is that that foot that they put down? or it's uh, it, it was There was this whole thing with a judge. And yeah, so pretty much pretty much the DNR wins. Okay. Um, the DNR will not be issuing licenses to hunters or trappers this fall. Officials say they will continue to work on a management plan and to guide management decisions. Um, last winter's hunt was forced by a lawsuit from the group Hunter Nation. So pretty much because of uh, all the damage they did in February, they were putting a hold on it for the fall. So there will not be a wolf hunt this fall. Wow. So are they going to try and do one again this spring? No. No, that was uh, that was all that was it, that was forced by the courts because they were removed from that list. So, 
they took it all into consideration and said, you know what, you're right, there's a lot of damage, so we're going to put this one on hold. So there's still going to be wow. a, there, there'll be a wolf hunt eventually, but not not this year, and it's going to be managed differently. Well, so let's consider that a W for now. Yep, yep. So that's kind of that's kind of the end in sight so far for the wolf hunt as it is right now. As everything I've been talking about, it's kind of uh, on hold now for a long time. So that's all I got for Wisconsin. What do you got? Um, so for Michigan, this one comes out of Michigan Farm News, which I know it kind of sounds weird, but um, their article is on. Northeastern Southern Peninsula, if you could put that all together, you know, the main mainland of Michigan, Northeastern part, um, there are four counties that need to produce 2,800 deer for tuberculosis testing. And they need to do that because um, it affects the cattle. So if they don't get enough tested, the USDA can put a hold on moving cattle from that area. So it's kind of a huge thing. They want deer hunters to step up. They want to, basically what they want to do is prove that uh, the tuberculosis hasn't really gone crazy in that part of Michigan. And, you know, it could mean like a pretty bad, you know, dent for the economy for, you know, cattle farmers up there. So, but, uh, they got 2,800, you know, if I lived up there, I'd be like challenge accepted, you know? And, uh, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. that's a good find, you know? Yeah. I really had to do some digging. The, yeah. the, well, the well's getting a little dry. Yeah, I'm surprised. You know, the news was so easy over the summer, and now it's kind of like drying up. I know your Indiana one was a little dry. You want me to do Illinois? I well, I just thought that Michigan one was interesting because they actually use deer to measure the transfer of this tuberculosis thing. You know, before the USDA can shut down. You know, whatever. So the like farmers are like begging people to like turn in twenty eight hundred deer. You know, and th- this is not even including the um, the CWD testing. This is like a whole different thing that just kind of popped up in that area. So get it done, you know? Nice. But yeah, go ahead and do Illinois. Illinois is from usnews.com. This is actually something I already reported on. Either, hell, it might have even been last week or the week before. But uh, remember that prairie I was talking about at the Rockford Airport? Yeah. So a deal halts Illinois airport's work that threatens the prairie. Okay. A deal has been reached to postpone construction on the Rockford Airport until March 1st, 2022. Construction would ruin an 8,000-year-old tract of prairie. The prairie demolition is part of a $50 million expansion of the Rockford Airport, and a temporary hold gives time for the Natural Land Institute to convince the airport authority to explore other options. Wow, so that's a W-2 then, for right now. Airport officials said that they are redefining a portion of the expansion project by removing the retention basin slated to be built in the bottom of the Bell Bowl Prairie, which is the prairie we're talking about. Expansion, the one thing the airport wanted to add is the expansion. It will create hundreds of construction jobs and up to 600 permanent airport jobs. But as for now, we will have our 8,000-year-old prairie still sitting there till March. Hopefully, they come up with something else by March. But, uh, yeah, that's the deal with that for now. So how do you feel about that? Oh, I love it. I, I don't need it. What, what do you need more Rockford Airport? What like, For instance, where we were hunting this morning, I'm willing to bet that's natural prairie. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting. They want to talk about jobs and stuff like that, but it's like... Okay, but I mean, like that's what they always say. Okay, well, if you guys want your land, uh, you're not going to get your jobs. It's like, come on. I mean, is there is there no middle ground? We got to destroy everything to have jobs. Like, what is it, that what it boils down to? Like, where else would the market flex for those 600 jobs to be created? You know what I mean? So, would we know, would people from the city, like, you know, Midway... You know, all those be losing jobs because... Okay, so let's say it does create 600 jobs. Yeah. Does Rockford, 90 miles outside of Chicago, do they have 600 extra people laying around? Don't know. 
No idea. I'm sure they do. 600 is a lot of people. That's what I'm saying. So are they dangling a carrot that's not actually there? That's kind of what it sounds like to me. I would rather see. I mean, like, I guess I don't quite understand all the construction management planning type stuff. But, I mean, you're telling me this is a 25-acre field. 25 acres. I mean, I wouldn't really that big. Yeah, I I wouldn't even fish a lake that small, really, you know, unless it was my backyard. But you can't move it over, you know, leave it alone. Like, what's next to it? Use that, you know. Go to the other side, you know. But that's like, I I just like leaving. We just have all this tall grass prairie, especially being in a prairie state. It's like, let's, you can't build, we can't make more land. It's already all there. Okay. So why destroy it? Maybe keep it in your back pocket. Maybe later on when things get tough. At least you'll have this in your back pocket. The first thing they decide is, ah, oh, yeah, there's nothing over there. Destroy it. No, that is something. That that is something. And it's know? it's untouched land from when the glacier cut it, you know, eight thousand years ago. It's just like around here when you look at all these little neighborhood Facebook posts. Oh, we got a coyote problem. We got a coyote problem. No, we put it warehouses where the coyotes were. Now they got nowhere to go, so they come in your yard. Yeah, you the know? coyotes got a people problem. So we don't have yeah right. We don't have a coyote problem. We have a development problem. But uh, so my Indiana of. When I talk about the well running dry, uh, Indiana is like really getting there. But uh, you've brought some of this to my attention. I've been reading a bunch of articles from Indiana. Um, there's a couple of I'm not going to call them good, but there's a couple of key points. That's you know stuff that's going on in Indiana right now. They you're part of a Facebook group, um, or you monitor that one Facebook thing. But well, they uh, actually let me post uh, every now and then. I put in there for this podcast. Oh, okay. And okay. Uh, so I actually advertise on there. Every now, I've only posted like once or twice on there, you know. But so that's why I was I get all their updates, so I read them all. So, but there's people stealing tree stands and demolishing stuff, right? Yeah, tons of tons of theft. Somebody was just talking about a ground blind that somebody went in and destroyed. You know, that's just crazy. Like, why? You know, and it's public land. All public land. Yeah. Wow, that's just that's that seems uh very stupid so if you're listening to this podcast number one we thank you but number two stop your crap yeah because stop, that's it, not fair legit, there was just tons of things about people stealing tree stands and going through ground blinds and uh there was even a picture i think there was a picture of somebody with a rifle I yeah there was i saw that one. <laughs> yeah they're like the dude running through the woods with a rifle out, when, out of firearm season out of firearm season uh somebody's got him on a trail cam and it's like you know, are we really bending the rules that much? Like, are you really, like, is this getting to this point? And I'm sure our other three states have problems like this, but it, for some reason it just seems to be very reoccurring in that Indiana group. So I think it's a good thing to say, hey, just if, leave well enough alone. Just like you would not hurt, uh, you know, natural property, don't don't hurt somebody else's property too. I hate to make Indiana the, the crime part of our podcast, but uh, there's another one that came out, not really a crime, more of an accident. But a uh, 15-year-old was riding with a retired police officer. I don't know if they were related. There wasn't really that much information on this. This just popped up a couple days ago. But uh, don't even know. To me, it sounds like a hunting accident, even though that information is not there. Uh, You can find this article anywhere. I found mine on, um, I think, Wayne. And, uh, you know, Wayne 15 or whatever it is. But 15-year-old kid was riding in the back seat. There's a rifle. And keep in mind, like, everybody has a little bit of a different story on this, but... There's a rifle in the back seat. The rifle went off and killed the kid. Hit him in the torso, um, somewhere low, you know, possibly like a spinal thing. But anyway, if you've got a kid, and like, of course, we know that a 15 year old, really not a kid, right? But if you've got somebody that's not firearm trained or I don't know, whatever, these days, these days are kids for a long time, so I would call 15 a kid, right? But still, my my thing is, even if you're transferring a rifle out to the thing, why do you have one in the chamber when you're heading out to the? Oh, I, I, you shouldn't. There's no excuse for it either. There's, there's none. 
You can make that argument about the pistol on your hip, but if it's in the car unattended, never have one in the chamber. It just seems like a very common thing, no matter what type of rifle it is, no matter what type of gun it is. So I like like you said about the pistol. So like for concealed carry, I always have one in the chamber. There's always one ready to go. But that's a completely different mindset. Um, like it's on me. It's not where somebody else can grab it. Yeah, it's it's, not where, or even when you just grab the gun in the bag. Like let's say it's in a soft case. Like you can make it go off accidentally. Oh, definitely. You know. So that's just one other little thing I saw. It happened to just pop up in Indiana. Something everybody can learn from. You know, yeah, hunters, something everybody anybody. can learn from. Just kind of put it in perspective. Like yeah, you know. You might think you know a lot about your gun, but the one thing you really got to remember is to take one out of the chamber if you load one. Is that it for the news? That's it for the news. So we're going to bring in uh, Bushlight Billy and Kelsey's Corner? Yeah, we're going to bring in Bushlight Billy. Here they are. Sitting here with Bushlight Billy. What's going on, Pat? Yeah. Yeah. I've, Jim would be interviewing you, but he staged a walkout over like Netflix or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's so he's he's outside right now. He's the only guy sitting out there on Halloween with a picket like oh. a picket uh, sign out there saying something something about uh, that one comedian. I forget. Oh yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, Jim's a big activist in that you know community and everything. So so I already know. But what do you got for us this week, Bill? Tri tip. I did the tri tip finally. Um, after what three weeks has it been? I'm still licking my fingers. I I just had a piece. It was delicious. You liked it? Yeah, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I, I still haven't finished it, but it's it's really good. This one came out pretty good. So this one, the, the tri tip is is Jim's favorite. Yeah, Jim. If if you drive past right now, Jim's outside with a little sign in his hand, chewing on a piece of meat. <laughs> <laughs> Jim did say that this has been his. Uh, this is the favorite tri tip that I've made. I've done like three so far, and he says this one so far is turned out the best so it turned out a little bit overcooked I, I think it's perfect i mean i'm not a meat expert or nothing but i think it's perfect Just tell me about what you did well it's same thing i did last time except this time i used a different rub so these are the uh the pre-marinated steakhouse version i did not buy it from burkott's however i got it at jewel because it was on sale i know burkott's I, wait so what cut know. of meat is it tri-tip it's that like the cut of meat is a tri-tip well yeah, that's i what it's really called. don't know that much about so yeah it's it's basically just that's what it's called, a tri-tip. They call it a tri-tip because it's kind of looks like a boomerang, a fat meat boomerang. Huh. <laughs> it's got three tips. Well, it's a good, tasty fat meat boomerang. No, it, it, it really is good. Th- this time I did it more of a steakhouse style, so I actually just smoked it at 225 for about an hour and a half, got the internal temperature to about 130, and then I pulled it off and then reverse seared it in a cast iron pan. That's all it took? A couple of minutes per uh, side. Yeah, that's, that's all it takes. Well, what, what are you doing sitting out there for 15 hours at a time and stuff? Well, that's uh, so the, the last time I did a tri-tip, it ended up being the Triscuit. So oh. you actually slow cook it for a lot longer, and it breaks down the fat, breaks down the fat a lot more uh, evenly, and it ends up tasting almost like a brisket. It's a poor man's brisket. So the so whole time, time probably take you, what, two hours? Yeah, about two hours by the time you pull it out and let it rest at room temperature and then throw it on the smoker. And with all the rain that we've been having, I, I was having some trouble feeding the pellets in the smoker because like what happens is all the moisture gets on the bottom into the auger and wood pellets, they expand. So it, yeah. t- it took me a little while to get the smoker up to temperature today. but And I'm sure if you don't have those things sealed up, they kind of sit there and swell up too, right? Pretty much. Yeah, well, I keep the cover on it. You know, you're supposed to take your pellets out after, before you use them, but I never do. It's bad practice on my part, but... I keep the cover on the grill, try and keep some of the rain out. But so, do, what did you do? Did you marinate it overnight or anything like that? Did you have so it these seasoning? actually these actually come pre-marinated from the store. They're actually vacuum sealed in a little like container, like plastic bag, I guess, with the marinade already on it. And it's like a steakhouse blend seasoning. You can taste some salt, pepper, garlic, and stuff. So you didn't add anything to it? Nope, didn't add anything to it this time. 
Wow. It was pretty much ready as it is. And, it, it, you it know, you delicious. really didn't need to add anything. It was, in my opinion, if, if I could have pulled it off 10 minutes sooner, I would have pulled it off 10 minutes sooner. I think you did great. I, I think I think you could have gone either way 10 minutes and it would have been just fine. Yeah. Any any longer than I would have just left it on there for make the Trisket again. And I got something else coming up for tomorrow uh, for next week. What I got, you got? I don't want to say it too. I don't want to ah. say it. I don't want to spoil it. Uh, th- these should be pretty good. Another, uh, I'm sorry, another recipe I saw on TikTok that got to try. I had, I saw it and I'm like, I got to make those. The, no the, sneak peeks or nothing? It involves sausage, pork sausage. Huh. How's that? Pork sausage and cheese. Yeah, that narrows it down to about 55 50,000 different things. I made a beef stew yesterday too. That ended up being pretty good. So I heard you got a new grill, Bill. Uh, well, not really a grill, a griddle. A griddle. Oh, okay. So now the Blackstone. Yeah. Okay. I when Jim Jim told me about this originally, and he was telling me like what he got it for and who he got it from, and it was like wow. Yeah, and he got it for a deal, and I I couldn't pass it up. Uh, I have not used it yet, but I plan. I filled up two propane tanks yesterday, so I'll probably be firing that up this week. I'm actually going to be bringing the whole thing to work on Friday. We're going to do breakfast for the guys. Make a bunch of bacon and eggs, and then my boss is going to bring in his famous biscuits and gravy. Bring an apron, man. Those things are greasy. Oh, yeah. No, I've been reading up on them and everything, and it's, God, I can't wait to use it. Greasy in a good way. I mean, you're still cooking the same kind of food on it, but it's just like it just splats out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm not worried about it. What, What else are you dreaming about cooking on that new griddle grill? In my mind, breakfast food. When I see those things, I just think breakfast. I think of hash browns. I think of fried eggs and bacon and sausage. Like not like sautéed onions or oh yeah, I could do fajitas some of that. like peppers, onions. Oh, like I, I plan on doing all that. But just w- when I think of a blackstone, what I think of is breakfast. So you'd be pretty proud of me. I've got a whole chicken right now. Um, what do they call it? Dry brining, right? In the fridge, where you pour some seasoning on it, and you just let it chill in the fridge for a day. Oh yeah, it's just marinating. Now, I didn't intend to do that. I just didn't have time to cook it yesterday. <laughs> hey, so, there's nothing wrong with that at all. So it's got some uh, cloves or like some uh, garlic cloves up its butt and um, oh yeah, and some salt and pepper. So Whenever I do a chicken, I always put cut a lemon in half and shove it in the carcass. I am nowhere near as patient as you, so after an hour, I'm either going to be feeding it to the dog or <laughs> it's going to be delicious. Or it's going to be delicious. No, put a lemon up there. I'm telling you. keeps everything nice and moist. So this tri-tip, was it real expensive? No, I think I paid 11 bucks for it. It was on sale. It was one of those things at Jewel where it was on sale. And how many pounds do you get out of that? It was like two and a half pounds. That's not bad. 2.2 That's not. That's actually really good. No, it's not bad at all. Like I said, it's on sale, so I don't know what the normal price of it would be per pound, but it was one of those like uh, manager special things that they have going on. Yeah, tasty so. deal. Tasty deal. Tasty deals. And uh, does it go well with, what's your... Uh, nice tri-tip is best served with a ice-cold bush light. Um, oh, is that what those are? That's what these are. They're oh, yeah. they're delicious. I highly recommend them. You, you can never go wrong with an ice cold bush light. I thought like they just started canning water. No, oh, <laughs> hey hey, carbonated water. You know. Okay, it's bush light Billy, not carbonated water Billy. Can't even call it seltzer water. It's just water with some bubbles. But yeah, Pat, that's all I really got for you this week. But yeah, like well, I thanks. said, hopefully next week I'll have uh, I'll have the results of this week's what's currently on the grill. I don't want to spoil the surprise, but. Yeah, I'll have that for next Currently week. Currently on the grill. Yeah, oh, you're still, making it for tonight? Yeah, it's still so smoking right date? now. Halloween date? No. <laughs> no? Oh. Just took on. a little bit longer than expected. No, that's all I got for you. But thanks for having me. And uh, what, are we going to switch over to Kelsey's Corner now? Yeah, yeah. We're going right, to bring Kel in. Hopefully Jim comes out from his little protest. And uh, yeah. <laughs> all right, thanks, So man. welcome, Kel. 
Welcome to Kelsey's Corner. I appreciate you doing this for me. Oh, yeah. Figured I'd surprise you with the topic. I know. you. Uh, I, was, I was trying to think of everything you could talk about, and I have no idea. So what do you got? I was just going to talk about paint, like what kind of paint I use for all my projects. Uh, I do know this one because you like to spend the most money possible without saving a dime. Uh, no, just for certain things, you do have to use high-quality paint. So I first figured I all my furniture that I redo... I stick with chalk paint. So chalk paint is pretty affordable, in my opinion. Um, And I like chalk paint for furniture because you don't have to sand anything. Um, And it's very little prep work. I just clean it, and then I just use a chalk paint. Where do you buy it? Um, I buy mine from that White Street Market, but Home Depot has chalk paint, their own brand. Oh, it's that that popular of a product? Oh, yeah. Um, I I like the one brand I use. It's Annie Sloan chalk paint. I like Annie that. what? Annie Sloan. 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 Gotcha. Like the plumbing company. Sure. Um, but I like that particular brand, so I buy it from that boutique shop. But um, Home Depot has a brand. Rustoleum makes chalk paint too. Um, Menards, Lowe's. You can really get it at any store. Just depends on the brand you want. Um, you can also get it. Um, the Rustoleum you can tint in any color. So it's really nice that way too. So you can pick whatever color you want for your chalk paint. Um, But I redid the laundry cabinets in chalk paint too. And then I sealed it with, um, you can seal chalk paint in its own form of polyurethane, but it has to be specific for chalk paint. Or you can just do wax. All the furniture I just seal in wax. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So what other kind of paints are you using? Um, So to paint like vanities and stuff, because I painted the uh, vanity in the master bathroom, you want to buy... like a higher quality paint because you're going to need it to stand up to cleaning and stuff. So you're going to spend the big bucks and go to Sherwin-Williams. It is uh, it is nice paint though. It is, it is yeah. uh, We know a guy that works there and he could even testify yeah, to so I use, how well it is. Yeah. I use Sherwin-Williams for actually most of the paint that we buy is um, Sherwin-Williams paint. Um, all the trim work that I did was Sherwin-Williams uh, primer and paint. And that turned out nice and flat. I oh, was yeah. worried when she said she wanted to paint the trim, I'm thinking, oh my God, this is going to be all over the place. Remember when you didn't want me to paint the banisters because you thought it would look terrible? And how's it look? Terrible. It looks great. <laughs> You're just saying that. But you have to, it's because I did my research. Looks like a finger paint job in kindergarten. That's no, what it looks like. I did my research and decided that I'm too lazy to sand that. So I did two coats of their very high quality primer it's like extreme bond um they were out of it for a while because i guess there was a paint shortage with the you could bond it to grease lightning right you probably could i mean that stuff stuck to anything um but it stuck to it sticks to like high gloss areas so i did two coats of that and then i just did i did three coats of the paint um i used their trim paint because it's like a high gloss so you can clean it but both the trim and the banister look good Okay, so what other, kind of, chime in. what other kind of paint do you? Um, so for room paint, I I usually use like either the Bear brand or I'll go to Lowe's and get the Sherwin-Williams brand that Lowe's sell because it's still like a nice quality paint. Um, but I like to use like either Bear or I think it's, yeah, I think it's just HGTV Sherwin-Williams paint from Lowe's. Um, but I buy like the, um, I think it's Infinity. Bear is not a is not a Lowe's product. No, though. Bear is a Home Depot product. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, I like the Bear. The Bear paint covers really well. I think the Sherwin-William ones is a little bit better. 
um, they say like the one coat, nothing's ever one coat, but I can usually just do two coats and be fine with the Sherwin-Williams paint. You mean in the rooms? In the rooms, yeah. How would you know how many coats it takes? Okay, I painted that bedroom. We had, like 10 years ago. No, our master bedroom. Oh, yeah, I guess you did do yeah. that. Yeah. I guess you I did. did. Okay, so, you're, uh, you're off on that you one. And I did splurge um, because I wanted a specific color. I wanted Sherwin-Williams to match it in their paint. So I did go to Sherwin-Williams for the paint for the bedroom because it was a ferro and ball color, um, which is like a very high quality, super expensive paint, but you have to order it online. I do have so. a valuable tip for painting rooms because you've made me do it. Okay. The you best know? tip I can come up with when it comes to paint a room is hire somebody. It's a <laughs> lot easier. <laughs> I do have to tell you, you probably, well, I didn't tell you, but when I painted the master, you know how I was always just taping off the ceiling? I actually got a nice new brush and I cut in the ceiling. Oh, wow. You yeah. did it my way, huh? And the trim. I did all the trim too because I painted the trim first. So I cut it in with a paintbrush and saved all that taping time. Or masking, masking whatever masking. it's called. Now, we, our neighbor is, a, is an actual painter. And one time I used the word taping and he looks at me serious as hell. He goes, you mean masking. And I'm like, Ugh, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, coming from him who's like the biggest jokester in the world. And he says, uh, taping is what a drywaller does. And I'm like, okay, yeah. good to know. You know. Heaven forbid they help us paint though. No, I'm kidding. I'm sure they would. But Oh, they would for sure. But anyway, so you do. I just saved all that time taping. Um, but anyway, back to my whole topic of paint. Depending on the project you want, you're going to want to spend a little bit more money on a nicer quality paint because it does um, reflect the project. Like when you're going to paint like, say, kitchen cabinets, um, you're going to want to splurge on the Sherwin-Williams Emerald brand paint. Good thing we're not painting any kitchen cabinets (laughs) anytime soon. No, we are not doing that. Well, I am painting the bathroom, um, the guest bathroom vanity with that type of paint. Ah, So it does clean very easily. It's extremely durable. Um, it doesn't show like where as much as like, say if you got like a Menards, what's that brand that they sell? Ooh, uh, I can't think of it. I don't, ever, is, I don't uh, know. Cause I don't I've never, never bought, buy it. I've yeah, never, buy, I've never not, bought Menards paint. I, I yeah. did once in the old house and it was terrible. It was terrible. Yeah. Um, but whatever brand is just like a cheaper brand of paint. It doesn't clean as easily and it doesn't matter about the finish. It's all about the quality of paint that you use. Um, but so when I redo our guest bathroom, I'm sure your viewers will hear all about it. Um, I'm going to use the Emerald brand paint just because it's going to stand up to heat, humidity, um, cleaning, just general wear and tear, especially with you. So I know you have like week to week, you try to come up with uh, ideas for this segment. I have one. Do you want me to tell you on the podcast or do you want to just leave this here and I tell you off the air? You can tell me here. You want to hear? Yeah. So... As of today, we got a guy coming gutting our bathroom, right? Yes. And this was kind of a do-it-yourself, picking out yourself. They didn't just have everything chosen for you. Here, this is what we're going to put in, right? You everything gotta... is designed by me, correct. Why don't you do a podcast about how what your approach to getting ready for a bathroom remodel? Oh, okay. I mean, I did I did a lot to prep for it. And you a don't lot. actually know what it's going to look like because I know, but you don't know. Because I, I don't care. I didn't want to do one in the first oh, place. Okay, I bet your viewers would agree that a tan bathroom, tan walls, tan ceiling, awkward room, and a pink bidet. It's fully functional. Yes, they would agree. A pink bidet. It was fully. And then a pink fiberglass shower 
You use that bidet every day. What are you getting? <laughs> that hasn't turned on in the six years we've been here. <laughs> yeah, the valves are, are frozen shut. Yeah. Well, it's gone now. It's in the dumpster, actually. It is. I, I took a picture of it. I was just so happy it was gone. But anyway, I can talk about, yeah, how to kind of So as it, ugly as it was, it was fully functional. But we had, to, we had to tear apart what's not broken, right? And don't worry. Your viewers can follow me, and I will post how beautiful it is. I took a million before pictures for Speaking everybody. of which, you did do a stepping stone post for anybody that- I did. So at kdillon612 on Instagram, she did a whole thing on- last week's podcast you decided to make a bunch of stepping stones on friday night we made those yeah well i mean i did decide i don't have thanksgiving i don't have christmas i had halloween but i really wanted my thanksgiving and my christmas ones and i'm gonna go put those out actually tis the season tis the season but you gotta celebrate thanksgiving christmas season in our house doesn't start until the day after thanksgiving we're pretty strict. Uh, for me, it doesn't really start until about, I'd say, December 22nd or 3rd. Yeah, when he starts to do his shopping. Is uh, when I start to care. And yeah. even then, it's like I don't even care. You know? I was going to say, I do all your shopping. I just I just put on a smile for you. And you got me a, a bathroom for Christmas, so oh, there you yeah. go. Anyway, is that all you got? Yeah, just choose a nice, high-quality paint for your project. Um, I just figured I would throw out... You know, some paint that I use. <laughs> Stop making faces at me. This was a quick <laughs> podcast. But everybody always asks me, hey, what kind of paint? How many people ask me for the bedroom? What paint did you use? Why did you choose Sherwin-Williams over Benjamin Moore? Because Benjamin Moore is like a very good brand too. But I did not. I'm a Sherwin-Williams girl. I do like Benjamin Moore. It's Also, there's not a store around me. Anyway, that's all you got? That is all I got. Thank right. you for having me. Oh, there you go. That's oh, a way that, to close it. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Bye now. <laughs> Welcome back, guys. That was uh, Bushlight Billy in uh, Kelsey's Corner. Well done. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. Good job there. So as we promised, we're going to talk about Fair Chase. Oh, Jim's back. I got him off the street, by the way. Yeah. I don't know what that was all about. You know? Yeah. Was, uh, yeah we didn't either. You just grabbed a sign and ran out the he's door. He's so full of shit. So anyway, Fair Chase equipment we're going to get into. Okay. The one thing I wanted, I, I got a definition of fair chase. This is off the Boone and Crockett Club's website, who's kind of like, you know, writes the rules for this. But the definition is the ethical, sportsmanlike, and lawful pursuit and taking of any free-ranging, wild, native, North American big game animal in a manner that does not give the hunter an improper advantage over such animals. That is a definition right off the Boone and Crockett uh, website, okay? So we're going to get into equipment, specifically just equipment. Next week, we're going to get into, uh, I had tactics down, you know, and then we're going to go into situational, but we're going to start off with equipment. Is there anything you want to start with? Otherwise, I'm going to start dropping bombs on you, see what you think. This is so, what we're going into with this is pretty much what uh, is somewhere between what we've read uh, and our feelings on it, right? This is yeah. kind of a more opinion-based. Yeah, I, I would say this is definitely more opinion based. You and me, I would describe as more traditional outdoorsmen than I would. I always want to compare myself to the like when I say that. I always think of the Bassmasters, you know, because I just find I just don't feel like Bassmasters is fishing. It's just not to me. It's just not the fishing world. You know, it's just kind of crazy. Like I, I would have told you a long time ago, I, I sat on one side of the fence, but then when and this sounds real stupid, but the thing that changed my mind on Fair Chase was trolling for muskie. That was the thing that really got me thinking. Don't get don't get into that yet, though. Okay. Yeah. So, let's start off with equipment. Do you had you had a piece of equipment you want to talk about first? Um. So the one thing I've kind of got a weird beef with, never shot one, is a crossbow. Okay. So what what is your issue with crossbows? My issue with crossbows is there is a whole lot of work that goes into shooting a compound or a recurve or whatever, even more work for a recurve or a traditional. So you, you don't think there's as much work in a crossbow? No, you go out there, you get it sighted in, you pull the trigger, you know, but there is still timing with cams. 
there is still you got to make sure everything's still in time. Like there's still there's still science involved in a crossbow. Right, but like even the best bow shooter can set up your compound. You got to be the one to shoot it. Now with the crossbow, it's I would compare it more like shooting a rifle, right? So with crossbows, uh, this this is like kind of split. Pretty much the only people that are in favor of crossbows are the people that only want to shoot a crossbow. Okay, does that? I, I don't know if that, that makes I mean, perfect sense. So I'm not interested in shooting a crossbow. I have no interest in buying one with my own money and like actually hunting with it. So that I mean, I can I'm not for them. Crossbows. The original reason behind these crossbows was people that could not pull back a compound bow, which I do find unethical. Let's say you don't have the strength to pull back. I'm going to say at least a 40-pound bow. Even that sounds a little weak, doesn't it? Maybe a yeah. 50-pound bow. So let's say you're a, you know, a kid under the age of 12, a guy that had a, a labor-intensive job over the age of 50. Like I can understand why a compound bow, that they still want to hunt, but a compound bow is too much for them. Do you see that point? Actually, I do because uh, the guy I was supposed to go hunt with this weekend in the UP, um, he got diagnosed with cancer. He's kind of getting weak off of his medication. So he was a big compound guy. And he still loves the hunt, but he just can't. Right. So you'd rather, I'd rather see somebody out in the field hunting, enjoying themselves with a crossbow, if that, if that's the only means necessary. Right. But know? I mean, what you know, but so what I'm, what I'm pretty much what I'm against crossbows with is the people who uses them, not necessarily the weapon. Right. No, I, I, I hear on that. It, it's, it's easier for them where this should be. You know, if you want to be part of the game, you got to do a little bit of work. So some, some arguments you see in favor of crossbows is they say, oh well. It's a more ethical kill. So I would say you're right under one circumstance. Is most, I'm going to say 80% of your bow hunters, maybe even more, this is just my guess, is shooting 40 yards or less, right? Yeah. I bet you most crossbow shooters are shooting 40 yards or more. Yeah, Okay. absolutely. So an ethical kill, if that's your argument, you would still be in the same constraints as a, as a compound bow shooter 40 yards or under. Then I believe you. I could see that being a more ethical kill itself. So I did a little digging, and the average crossbow feet per second, on average, on average, I'm sure there's less, I'm sure there's more, but on average, is 400 to 450 feet per second. Our compound bows, if we did everything right, they'll shoot what? What were they called? The ISO or something like that? It'll shoot 335. And I, but we shot ours through that one kid's thing at the range, and they were like 275. Or yeah, something. like 270s. Yeah. So I bet you mine's even slower now. Well, we upped our grains on the arrow. So we have a bigger, heavier arrow. It's got a lot more kinetic energy, but it's just going to get there slower, okay? But your average crossbow is 400 to 450 feet per second. You know, I mean, out to 100 yards, it's almost a sure thing. In my opinion, I, I'm guessing it depends on how often you shoot it. So I've been watching guys at the range that shoot these crossbows. Have you ever seen somebody practice one at 20 yards yet? No. I've, what I've about 30 only yards? What about, what about 30 yards? No. So where, only, do you, where, do you, where do you see if you want, if you showed up and some guy's practicing a crossbow? What's the minimum yardage you expect him? The minimum I've ever seen a guy shoot one there is sixty. Yep, I'd say fifty. I'd see I've seen the fifty. Pretty much. So you're not using it for an ethical kill. You're using it for a farther, more advantaged kill. So once again, I'm I'm completely for the people that can't not pull back a bow and ethically kill something with the right poundage. But if you are a fully healthy human being that can pull back a bow, you should not be shooting a crossbow. Not at all should you be shooting a crossbow. Now, I have one caveat to that. You can be shooting a crossbow, but it just has to be lumped in with like muzzle loaders and so shotguns. So that was the other thing. Okay, so now we're going to make these legal for everybody. There should be a season for these. There should definitely be a season just for crossbows. Um, and you're right. It should be a muzzle loader. It should be a firearm. Maybe even just its own crossbow you know, season. But it, it, shouldn't, be, it shouldn't fall under the whole 
umbrella of you know the beginning of the season to the end of the season and of course it shoots a device much like an arrow a bolt and yeah they don't even refer to them as arrows they refer to them as bolts right and i I mean you know obviously everything shoots a projectile right but in in my opinion it's it should be more of a muzzleloader thing now i know that's going to get a lot of people angry now this is strictly my opinion of course everybody's got a different one it sounds like it's your opinion too but yeah archery takes work it takes it takes a lot of work takes a lot of dialing in, takes a lot of practice. So for crossbows, I think we could just put down the fact that we both agree that if you're healthy and you're strong enough and you can handle it, you should not be shooting a crossbow. Yeah, because it is more fair to the other hunters that put in the work with their compounds or their recurves. Or unless there's a season. I might be interested in getting a crossbow if there's a crossbow season. Yeah. You know? But just as being an archery hunter, I don't think it falls under archery. Yeah. You know? not, no, not really. All right, so you threw out crossbows. I'm going to throw out one. You ready for that? Yeah, go for it. Uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna talk about uh, vehicles as a broad, but I'm gonna go into drones, drones and fair chase. Okay. Do you know what the rule is on drones? Um, I think in Illinois you need to have a permit, and you cannot use them for hunting whatsoever. So in 12 states, drones are banned in for hunting. You cannot, but that's only 12. Yeah, you that know. seems a little. But now that's legal. Now we're gonna go into ethical. We're gonna go into the fair chase. Uh, I love my drone. I love flying it. I think I think it's crazy accurate, but I think it's extremely unfair. For instance, I'll show you how unfair it is. Me and Pat were at a huge prairie ground today looking for deer, and we could not find them. We sat out there from what? What time did we get in our tree stands? 5.30, 6 o'clock? Uh, I'd call it like 5.45, yeah. We sat there till 9.30? Yeah, 9.30. Never once saw a deer. Imagine if I had a drone that I can fly up to a couple miles away. Now, multiply that out by, you know, if drones were legal, you know, you see a guy flying a drone, you're thinking, well, if, I get a, if I'm going to get a deer, i got to get a drone. Imagine if we just stood at the tailgate of my pickup truck and picked up, flew the drone and said, all right, we're going to find the deer. We flew it all around this part of this, I guess you could say uh, public park and said, oh, you know what? I found them. They're 10 miles that way or whatever, you know, a few miles that way. Uh, let's just put all our stuff back in the truck and we're going to go. Right where these deer are. Yeah, it, t- it takes it takes the the work out of it, and I, and I feel like the work is the limiting factor when you talk about harvesting numbers. Now we're in a populated area, right? This isn't where you can take anybody and just go harvest five deer in, in this overwhelmed area in terms of hunters and pressure. A lot of pressure here. Any tools that give you an advantage should be dealt with, you know. And we're also in a populated area, so it's it, just it's technology getting ahead of itself. Yeah, you know. It's so so for drones, we're just going to call that no. You know, it's it's just not fair that you can put something in the sky for a very decent low amount of money, okay, and you could just start slaughtering deer. So we're going to say no. But now what about cars? Cars, boats, what what do you think about cars and boats? Uh, four-wheelers, what would you, where would you draw the line on that? When it pertains to off-road vehicles in public land, I don't think that's that's fair at all. This is your own land, okay? Oh, this is your own land? Anything. Um, I, we're, talking about, we're talking about a broad thing of fair chase. So from getting from A to B... I think it's a great idea, but for using them to run down deer and locate, not so much. So with vehicles, uh, it's actually illegal to hunt from a vehicle, okay? Yeah. And you cannot use a vehicle to chase an animal down. So like we were talking about deer drives, and we'll get more into that with uh, tactics. For instance, a deer drive you can only do on foot. You cannot use a vehicle from, or use a vehicle for, I should say. Sorry about that. And that's the thing. It's like, so if you want it that bad, you got to do the work. The, to, to me, you know, besides the ethical part of it, it's all about doing the work. The person who has the most respect, the most preparation, 
they should be the ones that get rewarded, in my opinion. Now, this isn't a perfect world. It doesn't work that way. That's that's just the way I see it. So, like, the other thing, too, I'm going to throw this one at you. What, how do you feel about e-bikes? Mm, that's, see, that's on the fence. That's, like, mm, that's about the border where I sit, you know, because you could, you, it's a lot less work. And once again, that boils, that comes down to uh, how much money do you got? Because those are expensive. Okay, I don't have the money for one. But those this are guy, very expensive, yeah. This guy does, so he gets to work a lot less hard to get to a spot than I do. But on the flip side, it's still a bike, you know. So that's right along that's right along the border of things. But for just transportation, I guess I don't see a problem with it, you know. Now, for me, uh, being more from the mountain biking side, I do believe it's a very unfair advantage because you could just push a button. And uh, all you have to do is stay on the bike, and you're going to get to where you're going. It is, but think about it this way. You got a lot more energy for when you get there. You know, you got a lot more energy for the hunt. Yeah, there, there is obviously upsides. You know, that's why. But, I mean, don't you consider that ethical? So, the one thing when I was reading uh, with the fair chase thing is being in a condition, like in shape enough to be able to handle a hunt. So, you get to where you're going, and you're out of breath. You got a gun or a bow, and you're shaking all over, and you gut shot this thing. That's kind of your fault. That's kind of, you own that. Yeah, I mean, you you can make that same argument for four-wheelers. So, uh, right. But then that's, to me, that's that's way over the other side. That's what I mean, like the e-bikes are right on... On that line. So that, you know. that one to me is going to go in the basket of if you're using it to get from A to B, go for it. If you're using it to actually run down deer, just pull off and pull up and shoot, then to me that's a no. But uh, so, I mean, for, but so for vehicles, pretty much what it boils down to is vehicles to and from. Yeah, to and from. I mean, that's what vehicles are for. But you're not, you're not using it as anything more than a, a vehicle to get from point A to point B. Okay. Right. So you want to break this down a little further now? Well, the, real quick, the one other thing about vehicles on public land like that. Um, you blow out hunts for other people. So that's something that you should probably think about if you're, you know, if it was legal. I don't know. If you get there first thing in the morning and everybody's moving out at the same time, you're not really blowing out. I mean, you come through at, you know, nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah, you might be screwing something up. But I mean, at five o'clock in the morning, are you really hurting anything for everybody? Well, I could see that. Okay. So the one thing I have here, this is, this is really, it, this is, it depends who you talk to. And I can, I can argue both sides. I can take up either side of this argument is mechanical broadheads. You know, okay. So, I've never shot one. I've never seen one actually work. So I never shot one of my rages for you? No. Oh, okay. I don't okay. think so. I, I thought you can only shoot those things once. So there's a collar you got to change on them, yeah. Oh, but okay. I was I was sacrificing a few to see how they flew. Now, for me, you know, from the ethical, you know, more prepared side of that, uh, with my broadheads, I've, I've got two-bladed fixed. I go through and select the ones that I think fly the best, you know? So when you're using something like that where somebody's got to change a collar every time, they probably ain't shooting them. Um... The the biggest thing is the company swears, Rage swears that they used to give you a practice head. Let me start with that. They used to give you a practice head that was just like what it looked like all folded up, and they stopped doing that. I think it's more of a penny pinch than anything else. But they swear that they uh, they fly true to your field points. That's why they stopped doing that. I mean, I I could see if they that they flew truer to field points, but if there's anything extra on the end of a field point, it's it's different. Agreed, totally. But I'm talking about the actual, everything goes fine, okay? Everything's fine. You, you shoot it accurate as hell. I'm talking about the actual reliability of a mechanical to do its job. Now, I personally can't speak to that, but like, let's say let's just throw some random numbers on that. Let's say it worked 75% of the time. So what about that one quarter when it, when it didn't, you know? Well, what happened then? Let then you're just you blowing a hole through a deer and it might live, you know, impaired for the even rest if you, of its life. Even if you double lung it? You can kill something with a field point. Oh, I know you can kill something with a field point, but... So I'm talking about painful death. Yes, but 
when it comes to mechanicals, are they not ethical? No, I, I would have to say that they are ethical. It's just not my choice. The reason why I would not, I'm not against these. Okay, I'm not necessarily for them. I'm not like saying go buy these first. The reason why I'm not against them is because I think if you take a new shooter, I think they'll be a lot more patient with getting these to work than they would be a three-blade broadhead that flies a little this way, that flies a little that way. Got to line it up with fletchings. There's a whole bunch of things you got to do. Mechanicals, um, you can also stretch out the distance a little further. I apologize if you guys hear this baby crying. He will not stop crying. But when it comes to actual working, when they go through a deer and open up, it's a big hole. They bleed. They die quickly. They're down quickly. And the the one thing where I actually kind of like it now, of course, we both know that we that it's not going to fly true, but you get somebody who doesn't want to practice shooting a broadhead. You know, you get somebody who doesn't want to go through and do tedious arrow selection. They just use the same ones that they used they last shouldn't year. Be, they shouldn't be archery hunting. Yeah. At, at the bottom, at the end of the day, they should not be archery. They shouldn't be, but they're going to be. And if they are, um, I guess, if those are the things that try that fly truest to field points, then to me that sounds more ethical than using a fixed blade in that scenario only in that scenario so we're going to say and our view on mechanicals is they're not unethical yeah i don't think they're unethical at all if this was a reliability argument i would tell you uh fixed blades all day if this was a reliability argument and i know you're going to get people saying well okay now wouldn't you throw some fixed blades in the bin of unreliable or you know unethical and all that stuff because you you kind of know that it's not going to hit where you want it to hit, and you're just kind of going for a crap Well, shoot. I have that set of muzzy ones, and I couldn't get them to shoot straight. No matter what I did, I couldn't get those to shoot straight. Undergrain and lined up with the fletchings. I had one that went left. I had one that went up, and I had one that went right in there. Now, okay. last year I made the mistake, and I, I'm, I'm happy I didn't get a chance to shoot anything, but I had these uh, Chinese two-bladed broadheads that I thought would look real cool on my recurve, you know? But uh, those things out of the box – dull as hell i remember those yeah and i spent the time sharpening them and all that stuff last year but think about the person who didn't so in that scenario yes those would be more unethical because you all you're doing is putting a mildly sharp rock on the end of a stick which i know that you know is what they used to do and stuff like that but to me that situation is a little bit different now if you do your arrow selection right and you do your tuning right you can get a fixed blade to fly just like a field point and in fact, I think they're sometimes even more stable than a heavy field point. Like right now I've got big, I don't know, they're pretty broad for field points. And sometimes you get those to wiggle a little bit of a weird way. And it just seems like when I shoot my broadhead with the big uh, fixed blade on them, they just seem to have a nice smooth ride out there. So mechanicals we're calling good. Yeah, we're calling mechanicals good. All right. So do you have one for me? Do you have um, another one or do you want me to throw one out there? I've got one. Go ahead with the next one. If you got one, go for it. No, no, go ahead with the next one. I was just going to say the next one I have on my list is CB radios because I think that's I think that's a bunch of bullshit, but I could see their point. Yeah, you like you don't want people like coordinating and yeah. Right, but like I would like to be able to check on you, you yeah. know, and not have to scream through the woods. So CB radios, I, I think it, it all depends on the use. I just inherently, I don't think they're I don't think they're unethical. I don't think it goes against fair chase. But I, you could take anything and use it for the wrong reasons. Right. And I I've heard some things that if the DNR catches you with them and you're with other people, I don't know. You just kind of kind of be like, well, you know, we have these for safety, and they might let you go. You know what I mean? So well, I just think you know, like when the three of us go out hunting together, it's like, hey, how you doing over there? Did you fall out of the tree? You know, and yeah. it, you can't do that. I just, that's why I think that's just stupid. But, you know, I can understand where if you got a hundred guys out there and you're all trying to surround something or, you know, I can see where it goes wrong. Trying to go all army man on a herd of deer. So I'm, but my personal opinion is I don't see CB radios as going against fair chase. I think the act of doing something with them could go against fair chase. Yeah. The act of misuse. Yeah, totally. Totally agree on that one. 
So what do you got? Um, go ahead with another one. Really? Yeah, I'm still thinking. Okay, so my next one, this is, th- so I've done research on this and I'm trying to find something that agrees with me or goes against me, but I can't find anything on it. This is just strictly my opinion, okay? Is fishing GPS and down imaging, okay? And I think that, I think we're outgrowing ourselves in the fishing department. I think I think fish can't breed fast enough that we can catch them using these electronics. And I think we're killing our fishing spots by being able to just roll up on them and see everything we need to see and get everything perfect when that used to take time. You used to have to be really, you used to have to be really good with map and compass, boat control. Now you buy a trolling motor that keeps up with the GPS and you circle the same point all day, just landed fish. So when it comes to uh, musky fishing, that's a trophy sport. You don't have to be that good at anything other than casting now. Yeah, you know, all you got to do is be able to have enough money, and you you could you could do what once took a lot of. Boat control is a skill. Boat control, right? Is but 100% now, hundred percent. Now you get these trolling motors. You know, you set a you set a coordinate. You set a you set a trip that you want to do, and it just takes you. It compensates for wind. It compensates for current, and it just keeps you however you need to. And all you got to worry about is casting the line. Now, one thing I will give on in favor of GPS is. Uh, the, I hate, hate to keep talking about this one lake, but the lake we go to, it's extremely dangerous if you didn't know there's, that lake. There's safety. Trust, I understand that offshore guys, you know, there's safety. Yeah, I totally, I get that. I'm not saying, but I'm just talking about how, how fast and how accurate these things are. Oh, yeah. And I just don't think the fish under the water are keeping up with what how we can slay them with our GPSs. I just don't think they can. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you're, so we need to equally evolve our fisheries. Just as much as we evolve our technology. But that's just going to take, and I, I hate to say tax. I hate to say tax, but I, th- I feel like when you're using these these high-tech things to find fish, and these guys got three, four of them on the boat. They're all $2,500 a piece. I'm sure sponsors are giving them to them. You know, no, nobody's really, I'm not, I shouldn't say nobody, but a lot of people aren't spending $10,000 on their electronics. That, I think, it, it just, it, it kills what you're trying to do. It, back in the day, it used to be, oh, I got a really good depth finder. Now it's like, oh, I mean, we're practically letting these boats dry themselves there, you know? Yeah, I mean, my first boat set up, I had a, I had a depth finder you could only use when you were stopped. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's, right. You couldn't even use it when the boat was moving. It's just a little stick you stick in the water, and yep, that's your, you know, and then you go with it. But no, I, I could totally see that. And the, the whole GPS thing, um, for boat control reasons, like for setting up a drift, for setting up a good drift, it's tough. Drifts and things like that used to take a lot of experience and know-how, and you had to really had to pay attention to things. You had to know landmarks. You had to know all different kinds of things. Now, you don't have to worry about it. All you have to do is spend the money, and you got it. And now you can sit at your kitchen table and say, okay, well, this 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 looks pretty good. We're going to go here today. And like I get that. You could do that with the map, but uh, you could just set your coordinates, and bang, you're going. So I'm not saying it's unethical. I'm not saying it should be illegal. I just think it needs to be a little more monitored how we're killing uh, our fishing using these things. Rivers don't have it. We still fish rivers, you know? Yeah, rivers don't have it because rivers change all the time. That's why they can't update their GPS and like their... Right, but so I take my GPS on the rivers I fish and I actually add waypoints that I know are markers for things. Depth changes, logs, rocks, you know, things like that. I just think it needs to be a little more evened out. We're just we just fish ourselves to death and then complain about fishing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, fish finder, you park right over a hole. All you gotta do is put the hook down in the water. What do you got? You got anything out of you? I'm gonna keep going. Keep going. <laughs> so my next one I have on the list here. And this is in no particular order. It's just the way I thought of them. Okay. Yeah. 
But uh, semi-auto rifles. Now we all know, we all know you're anti-2A. Man, okay? I I should have I should have gone first because I was gonna get ahead of this one. That was mine. I just didn't think we were in that zone yet. Oh, I'm just going down a list here. Semi-auto rifles. I don't have a problem with them. I am not against 2A. All right, like at all. I am not a gun nut either. But I I, I mean I love my guns. But uh, no, the, the whole thing that started this full fair chase thing, the thing that made me think about this. I was at a golf outing with my buddy Mike. Hate to out him again. But um, they were talking about turkey hunting with semi-auto rifles. Now, if you listen to that one podcast, you already know where I'm going with this. To me, that seems unfair because there is so much work, even with just a shotgun that you got to do to call a turkey in, like a lot of work. So if you get within 100 yards where they can't smell, you know, I mean, turkeys have a very light sense of smell from what so I we're talking, But you're talking turkeys. What about anything else? Semi-auto rifles. I'll even put that in there with shotguns for ducks. Okay, semi-auto shotguns. I'm not against that. Shotguns are you know still out now we heard him to going off today it sounded oh, like man. they had a sounded like they had a gatling gun with shotgun shells yeah, in i it. swear howitzer got into making shotguns those were loud Lo- loud and da, 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 you know box of bird type of stuff and uh <laughs> a box of bird <laughs> box of bird type of stuff yeah but, I, w- uh, I wonder how successful those guys were because they were firing off some rounds man um i mean either they got a whole flock at once or but anyway um semi-auto the reason the things i don't see against it is like just like any other law, they could just say you're only allowed to have three in your gun or whatever, whatever the number. That's arbitrary. But whatever whatever they find to be correct, what what's wrong with that? Well, the thing, the only problem I've got with that now besides my turkey hunting thing is there's less work involved, right? So, I mean, that's the whole point of having better technologies for less work and all that stuff. But, there, but when you have this definition of what, you know, fair chase needs to be and all this stuff or not even fair chase or ethical or whatever – there's a line that needs to be drawn, and I think that line needs to be drawn right before semi-automatic, you know, like when you hear on the news, assault-style weapons, right? You, you don't want a bunch of bros going, you know what? I need a reason to shoot my AR. I'm going to take up turkey hunting. Might not even eat the damn thing. Now, you know but I mean? you're getting in a totally different argument now. You're getting in a totally – now you're saying only guys that don't eat turkeys use ARs. No, like I'm, not, I'm not saying that. You're getting way off. No, I'm talking about just the act of – because, like, would you think I was being unethical if I took my AR – turkey hunting if you know you know me and how i am what, what what would you say about me doing it i'd say learn how to call do it a different way i still got a call it's not like you're just like willy-nilly out there just bang 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 shooting these things well see that's what i'm afraid of, that it will go to but anyway so semi-automatic rifles when it comes to deer hunting for rifles and all that stuff i don't see a problem with that yeah because imagine imagine if you something happened okay and you shot this thing in the butt and he took off wouldn't you like to get him again real quick so he's not just running around injured yeah and you know the they're like you were telling, like you were talking to me the other day. There is still a reset period that you have to do. It's not like bang bang. You know what I mean? Oh, you're shooting a thirty at six, and there's going to be some recoil where you're not just like tick 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 with these things. No, it's bam, and you got to like refine yourself. You just you know gave yourself a good rattle. You know. So, so I, I guess there are certain scenarios where I'm totally against it, and then others where I'm like, yeah, totally fine. So I, I don't see how it's against fair chase. I don't think it's unethical. Um, I think there's things you could do to make it unethical, like a 30-round mag to kill one turkey. Sure. Okay, I can my see fair, that argument. My, my argument is bro sport turns into a bro sport. You're arguing the wrong thing. You're you're doing swine pigs. You're arguing bro sport then, not semi-automatic rifles. Feral pigs is what I meant to say. but So that's all I really have to say about semi-auto. I'm for, I'm for it. I don't see a problem with it. I just don't. It's yeah. You can use it. You could be still a good person. You could abuse anything, you know. And like 22s are semi-auto. 22s, I mean, you know, rabbit hunting. Yeah, 10, semi-auto. Your 1022, that's a fun rifle. That is a fun little rifle, yeah. You got another one? Uh, that that kind of was mine. And you 
So here's one, and this comes from Pope and Young. I was reading on the Pope and Young Club, and they are completely against this. And you and me did have a conversation about this previously, okay? Rangefinders on bows. The actual on bow. You said you heard of one that actually automatically sighted it for yeah, you. Yeah, like it's got a servo that moves the pin. Okay. And I, I've seen uh, I've seen the ones where it's just like uh, you could see it down the sight. So you, you're you sighting in on a deer, you squeeze the trigger on the uh, rangefinder, and it tells you which pin to use. And so Pope and Young is absolutely against this. I have to agree with them. I think that's just too easy. So for me right now, the way I have it is I have to hit them with the rangefinder. Then I have to use my bow. Then I have to, you know, I have to put my release on the D loop, and I have to pull back. And hopefully that deer is still staying in the same place. Now, I'm on the fence about the one that you still got to use the right pin for. Like that, that one could go either way for me, but the one that automatically adjusts, that's not right. Uh, either one of them. I just think it's too easy. You pull back, you hit the thing. Oh, okay. I'll use this pin. Pink. It's out there. You know, I think it's not a lot can change in the time you're transferring from rangefinder to bow. Rangefinders are, are a new thing. I mean, they're not, hunting was around for a long time where you had to just know your yardages by eye. Yeah. And then be comfortable with just, you know, shooting what you see at what you interpret it as. Yeah, because compound bows only came out in, what, the 60s, I'm going to say? Uh, early to mid-60s is when a compound bow actually came out. Before, So, I mean, you're only talking, I mean, a, a lifetime ago. Our parents were alive when they came out with compound bows. Yeah, but so now, you know, flip over the other side of this coin and see that uh, it would be more of an ethical kill for people that are going to argue, well, bows aren't that accurate anyway. Um, you know, oh, definitely. People. And I could see that argument. I could see that argument, but I, I'm not going to give them that much credit on it. I'm just, I think it's a lazy man tool. That's what I think it is. For all of that stuff, I think there needs to be some sort of a technology limit to kind of put everybody on the same playing field. You know, if you go out and miss three times, you're really going to come back and think about how you're going to set up your bow the next time. So for our opinion, rangefinders on bows, yay or nay? I'm, I, I guess I'm going to fall towards nay. I'm, gonna fall, I'm definitely a nay. I'm a, no way. I don't think I, I think you you got to draw the line. So I think it's already nice to have a rangefinder as it is. Now you're making that more and more easy. I understand it's, you can might you might be able to get a better shot off. Blah blah blah. I think it's a lazy man tool. I think it's you don't have to practice uh, transferring from your rangefinder to your bow. And you know the cool thing that we do, or at least I I know you do this too. But uh, when you get to your tree or wherever you're going, you set up your ranges. You say, okay, well that tree is thirty five. This one's 20, you know. Blah, blah, oh, blah, as blah. soon as I have light, I, I map out where everything is. Okay, if, if it's standing in front of that bush, it's 32 yards. If it's standing in front of that tree, it's 29 yards. I know that, you know. Yeah, and that's a good way f- for me to, like, think about that. Though. You got you got one or you want me to keep going? No, keep going. I got one more on the list, and that's it. And that is any kind of electric, electronic, electric calls. You don't need to, uh, you don't need to do anything but flip the switch. You don't need skill. You don't need know-how. All you got to do is flip the switch and wait. So wow, you really loaded your guns on this podcast. <laughs> so both uh, any of these, Pope and Young, Boone and Crockett, they're all against it. It goes completely against fair chase. I'm against it. And I don't see why, if, if this is your sport, why not learn how to do it correctly? Why not give that deer a fair advantage of you being a bad caller? An elk, you being a bad caller. Turkey, same thing. And the other thing too, I mean, the the more elk material I listen to, you you hear about guys that aren't that good of elk callers, and you know, good callers can pick up on that. And so now that now just because of that simple fact, they know somebody else is out there. But electronic call, you know, might be a little bit harder to discern. You know, I've never actually seen an electronic call. The closest I came, in fact, we were just playing with one today. Is that uh, 
I forget what the column where you tilt the can. It's like a diaphragm, over. right? Yeah, it's just like yeah. a, it's like a kid toy. You flip it over, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, and it's like it a fawn call. It was, you cool. know, so it was cool. But uh, so, would you? Not even electronic, automatic calls. Something you either got to push a button, flip over, whatever. Would you throw those all in the same bucket? I'm borderline with that can call because all you really do is flip it over and you wait. So I'm on I'm on the fence about it. The only thing that I'm not against or that's kind of in that is a scratch box for turkey. I think those are cool. Oh, that takes a lot of skill to do too. Right. but well, Less skill than a, than a read, but still. But it's a rhythm. Yeah. You just got to find the right rhythm. You don't have to know how to really... It's not. It's not as much about making the noise. Yeah, you don't pull up an app and say, "Okay, I want the sequence for you know agitating." You know, you know, and then you hit it, and then it goes. And yeah, I guess anything that does it automatically, mechanical, electronic, whatever. So that's all I have. That's all. I, what can you think of anything else? You did such a good job. The the one that I was building up to, you just kind of said so. <laughs> We want to hear more, right? But I mean, like from other people, oh, I'm yeah. sure there's something we didn't cover. You know, this yeah, is this is do. just kind of getting the groundwork going. And the other thing too, like if you heard something in this episode that you think that we could have elaborated more on, we'll get to it on the next one. This 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 is a three parter at least. The one thing, uh, unfair advantage. Okay, so an unfair advantage for you, an unfair advantage is defined as when a wild game does not have a reasonable chance of escape. So with any of these, think about yourself. Is it reasonable? Are you doing something reasonable that's natural for you to pursue an animal? When you fly a drone over and find them all sleeping, is that, are you giving them a reasonable way out? When you line up a turkey at 100 yards with an AR? Oh, he's got, he's got 100 yards to get away. <laughs> There's 100 yards of error in between you and him. Uh, range finders, you got this thing in your sights. And you were going to know what yardage it is from the moment you you hit the button, you know, from the moment you let go of the arrow. So electric calls, all you, all you need to do is record the real thing and play it. I mean, it's something reasonable. You got to be, a, it's got to be a reasonable amount of chase. So for me, the way I would interpret this is technology is coming a long way, right? And they, this technology has been around for less than a millionth of a blink of an eye in terms of the life of the world. You know what I mean? So there has to be some sort of limiting factor for this to be fair for everyone. Not only the animals, you got to make it tough. You got to make people want to do this. So I fall, if you ask me, I got some tech that I use, you know, but I definitely fall more towards the natural mindset of things than I do the, like you always say, the bro hunt. Or what's the word you use? I call it bro hunts, yeah. Yeah, okay. Where you just get a bunch of dudes, case of uh, with that water stuff. I, I guess that makes people drunk. That, what Boosh. is that? Boosh. Okay. Boosh yeah. lattes. You're not allowed to drink and hunt, so. No, I, I know, but like, so, like, it does sound fun. Like, like you would think, oh, a bachelor party? Let's go do it. Now, the one argument that I would have for, like, those kind of hunts is, like, for invasive species, like feral pigs. Yeah. Put your boots on. Strap up your AR, go take them things out. But uh, for things that we need to be a renewable resource, like turkeys, like deer, all of these things, rabbits, whatever. So that for for this whole equipment thing, that's what I have so far. Those are like the high points. I'm sure you could break this down into shoelaces if you want, you know. But for the high points, that's that's like the most controversial things I've found on equipment. If you have more, I'm trying to think. If you had more to say, Pat, where would you email it to? Oh, oh, what's that email? Uh, is it whistlemissionpodcast at gmail.com? It is whistlemissionpodcast at gmail.com. Remember, if you can hear this podcast, that means you could be on it. Like I said, we're on a new interface today. 
It's a four microphone hookup. So that means we got plenty of input. So to give you your input. So you could email me and bring your buddy along. We could talk to you on this, you know, and it's, and we could bring it anywhere we want. Anywhere we want. It's so light. You can take it, you know, to your buddy's house, whatever you want to be on this podcast. You let us know. We want your opinions. We want this to be a conversation. So that is uh, ver- it's Fair Chase Episode 2, Version 1 of Equipment. You like what I did there? Uh, version 1. So we can come like back that. and do equipment again. But that is where we are for equipment now. You got anything else to add? Uh, one quick, um, I guess, disclaimer. We're, we're not saying what is right and wrong. These are simply just our opinions. It's just the way we see it. So we said that at the beginning. It. I want to make that clear. All of this is our opinions. This may have offended you, but guess what? Uh, maybe what you're doing is offending me. In in my opinion, we're just looking looking to uh, start that conversation up again in a different way and make people look at it a different way. And also, the other thing too is we're new to hunting, so take it from a new hunter's perspective on what you may have been doing something for the last forty years. And we're going to get into that with tactics, and we're going to get into um, a few more. It's still going to cross over to to equipment, but it's going to be equipment involved with tactics, and we'll get into that next week. You got to tune in next week. Because next week's tactics, the next week's situational. We might even do a fourth week of corrections. If something comes up where we do get corrected on something, we might do a corrections week. You know, that is pretty interesting because we were always strict fishermen. We've kind of come in from that world before the technology was even really that big. So this kind of gives us a, I wouldn't say unique, but it's certainly a different opinion than most. So, but anyway, thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, um, thanks. Thanks for listening. And uh, tune in next week for Fair Chase uh, Tactics. Deuce. Well, three, I guess. Damn. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Thanks.